If there's a prize for rotten judgment, I guess we've already won that. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we're your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode, we'll focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at MouseMadnessPod or send us an email at MouseMadnessPodcast at gmail.com. Chris, we're back. Episode 51, the golden episode is in the rearview mirror. We made it through the best Disney Channel original movie bracket with a little little controversy, but now we're getting back into some of the classic Disney stuff. I'm not going to lie, Kyle. I'm a little bit more comfortable with this stuff. I had a great time with (laughs) DCOMs and like dipping my toes into that pond, but I'm happy to be kind of more back towards my wheelhouse. Um, And before we continue, uh, a massive thank you to Katie C on Twitter for recommending this topic a while ago when we put out our best Disney song bracket. Uh, She suggested we go deeper into some genres and this is our first installment here. So we're talking Disney love songs. And to help us with that, we're welcoming back our first ever co-host and tiebreaker. Whoa. In the history of Mouse Madness, Whoa. back for another one. It's my sister, Elizabeth. What's going on, Lizzie? What's up, guys? So glad to be here yet again. We are the OG right here. <laughs> I'm so thrilled. Thank you for having me. Oh, man. We, yes, we needed this energy. We needed this energy for episode 51. Elizabeth, I hear that you are newly in love. Is this mm. correct? Oh, this is on the right track. Correct. Yes. Uh, wow. Ooh, I'm like put on the spot here. <laughs> yeah, um, slightly. Yeah, I would say I'm on the path to love with um, my new boyfriend. Um, we've known each other. Uh, we knew each other in college and timing and everything just like lined up, stars aligned. And now we are together and we're about to start a new chapter. We're both going to be living in the same city for the first time in three years so it's gonna be fun and i'm sure we're gonna drive down from san francisco and there will be lots of car duets and lots of disney love songs oh Oh, boy yep we have a playlist made for you (laughs) it's already ready to go (laughs) all right guys well we're talking about love and what goes hand in hand with love spoonfuls of sugar go hand in hand with love so kyle what are you drinking today Oh boy, do I have something to share with everybody. I hopped back into the bar here at my house and just kind of pulled out some ingredients, threw them into the old Google machine to see what I can make. And uh, what came up was this thing called an illusion, illusion shaker. Now, uh, I'm not, this isn't just a shaker. I'm not just drinking a little shot glass of something. So I upped the recipe. Um, I can't tell you specifics because I kind of just eyeballed it. And I think that's going to, prove to be true as we go through this episode. So what an illusion shaker is, is uh, Midori, triple sec, vodka, lemon juice, pineapple juice, shake it all together, throw into a glass. It comes out like neon green because triple sec is clear, vodka is clear, the Midori is just a green liqueur. So um, it comes out like neon green and it's a little scary, but it tastes pretty good. So I'm going to call this, because of its brightness, its glowingness, I'm going to call this the candle on the water. Oh, yeah. 
I got a classic. This is, I think, my third time with this one. This is a nice and easy one. I mean, this is quickly turning into my favorite beverage. Super easy to make. It's the Thumper. It's 100% <laughs> cranberry juice and mezcal. Yeah. And it's got, it's got a little bite to it, a little smokiness to it. It's good for a midday, evening, morning, whatever time you want. Thumper, I highly, highly recommend. Elizabeth, what are you drinking? Well, uh, mine, uh, too, is kind of an all-around drink. Uh, I'm drinking Truly Hard Seltzer, the lemonade version. I'm drinking the strawberry lemonade, and I'm calling this The Tale is Old is Truly. There you go. <laughs> That's it. That's it. The, the hard seltzer becoming a big favorite of our guest host just across the board. It's true. It's, it's another hard seltzer summer. And yeah. I would guess that the next summer and every summer after that will also be hard seltzer summers. Most likely. Most likely. All right, Chris, we are talking best Disney love song. We are talking about songs from animated movies, from Disney live action movies. Um, we, we left Pixar out. I don't know that there's a whole lot over there, but this is it. We, we found our bracket of 16. And in order to do that, we had to send the interns to go uh, you know, survey a certain demographic. So what demographic is that for this bracket? In the earlier life of Mouse Madness, we surveyed couples wearing couples shirts at Disney parks, which it's just a major party foul for most of us. But yep. y'all, it's pandemic season and a new monster has emerged from oh, the Disney from parks. The depths. It is Disney couples wearing Disney couples COVID masks. Oh. At Walt Disney World. Oh, oh no! Yeah, it's not a good look, people. Uh, the shirts weren't a good look. The masks aren't going to be any better. So uh, let's stop it. Let's stop it now. The hands down worst one was one we saw. His Ellie, her Carl, y'all. <laughs> Ellie dies from a disease <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> oh. Why is that printed on your face mask? Uh, I don't... People. So out of touch. So <laughs> out of touch. And of course, not every Disney love song could make our field of 16. So we had a couple miss the dance. Kyle, what are a few miss the dance Disney love songs for you? All right. The first one for me is, I think, a little bit of a recency bias. We just got done talking about best decom. Um, so one of them is Breaking Free, Chris. Breaking Free from High School Musical. I think that that's uh, embodying a love song, but it's also talking about, you know, just general breaking through societal norms, but, all, you know, also breaking through relationship norms. And I think, I think that's a great love song. And then number two for me is So Close from Enchanted. Um, this is a deep, deep love ballad that is almost surprising to hear out of the context of the movie. It almost sounds like, something you'd hear on the radio in like 1995. Um, but it, it's a great love song. I think that um, Enchanted, which will be represented in this bracket, it turns out, is a movie that people forget about. And so I'm not surprised that this one didn't make it, but um, I think it's worthy of being talked about. So go take a listen to So Close when you get a chance. It's, it's a good one. Chris, what are a couple for you? Well, I kind of disagree with something you said a little bit earlier about how uh -oh. you don't know if there's any Pixar that would be factored into this conversation. Uh, when She Loved Me, absolutely a love song. Hello. Yes, absolutely. You're, I mean, you're talking to the guy who absolutely stands When She Loved Me. So 
so many people think of that song as really heartbreaking, and it is, but it also has a lot to say about love and different types of love-type relationships. Uh, definitely sad that we don't get to talk about that one in this context. Also, I was thinking a bunch of Disney Broadway songs oh. when I got this topic. For example, If Only, the quartet from The Little Mermaid, which we talked about a little bit in our Disney Broadway bracket, as well as one that I don't think we talked about from the Frozen musical, What Do You Know About Love, which mm -hmm. uh, is my favorite original song from that musical. Super fun. It's a great Kristoff and Anna duet. Highly recommend you guys look into it. Elizabeth, anything that you noticed that didn't make the bracket here? Oof. That's uh well I'm actually more surprised the stuff that made the bracket uh than the stuff that didn't make the bracket. I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but oh, sure. love is an open door. <laughs> who's 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 given that up as the best as a good love song? You know what I'm saying? Like, don't they know the evils behind Hans? Like, what are they thinking? Like get your stuff together. You can't expect people wearing couples masks to really be thinking about a whole lot. <laughs> it's just true. This is true. All right. Well, before we go any further, we'll talk about that as well as a bunch of these Disney love songs. Kyle, let's cue the dramatic music and let's announce our field of 16. Soaring, tumbling, and freewheeling into the number one spot is a whole new world from Aladdin. Bittersweet and Strange, coming in at number two, Beauty and the Beast. Will this song be the king we know it is? The king we see inside? Coming in at the number three seed, it's Can You Feel the Love Tonight from The Lion King. Is this vision truly what it seems? Coming in at number four from Sleeping Beauty, Once Upon a Dream. Will the door remain open for this quirky tune? Coming in at the number five spot, it is Love is an Open Door from Frozen. We hope the fog lifts for this number six seed from Tangled, It's I See the Light. Sitting in the Blue Lagoon is our number seven seed, Kiss the Girl from The Little Mermaid. We sure hope you're dying to cry your heart out, coming in at number eight from Hercules, I Won't Say I'm in Love. Will there be something there that was not there before? Our number nine seed is something there from Beauty and the Beast. The number 10 seed is serving up meatballs. From Lady and the Tramp, it's Bella Note. Will the flame be strong enough to outlast its competition? Coming in at number 11, it's Candle on the Water from Pete's Dragon. Move over, Owl City. A new firefly's coming into the number 12 spot. From Princess and the Frog, it's Mabel Evangeline. Will this love ballad find its way out of the thicket of its bracket? Coming in at the number 13 seed, it's Lost in the Woods from Frozen 2. For a song so small, it seems so strong. Coming in at number 14 from Tarzan, You'll Be In My Heart. Coming in at the number 15 seed, it's Lavender Blue from So Dear to My Heart and the 2015 live action version of Cinderella. Do you know? Coming in at number 16 from Enchanted, that's how you know. All right, Elizabeth, you talked about how love is an open door. You weren't particularly high on. Any other surprises in this field of 16 for you? Um, okay, so I think what we really need to get down to, which we will discuss, is the 
Okay, when we're talking about love song, are we talking about romantic love between two persons? Or are we talking about um, involuntary love between perhaps one would say a mother and child? So I think that's really important to remember in this bracket here. Um, you know, for example, You'll Be In My Heart is a ballad that Phil Collins presents to us. And, you know, at, at first listen, you might think, oh, this is about romantic love. But when you watch the movie, you know it's a mother, a mother's love. Okay, and then also Candle on the Water. Another odd yet interesting choice. Like, I'm okay with that. Um, so, some, some oddballs, some oddballs, especially Lavender Blue, Dilly Dilly. I kind of, like, was aghast when I watched it uh, on YouTube. There are lots of different versions. And then there's, like, this, like, fan-made 2015 Cinderella trailer-type situation that was <laughs> happening. And I wasn't mad about it, but <laughs> it was quite, quite the journey, the spiritual journey. Um, so... I think we've definitely got a spread, like you were saying. There's uh, some different types of love represented here, um, some really well-known love songs, and maybe some that people don't know as well. So I'm excited to talk about all of these. All right, well, let's start it off with our first matchup. It is the number one seed, A Whole New World from Aladdin versus number 16, that's how you know from Enchanted. So, guys, this is really interesting because A Whole New World was the number one seed in the Disney song bracket as well. So I think this is our first ever Disney thing that is a double number one seed. Yeah, I think it so is. So this, this thing has some weight that it's throwing around on our podcast. Um, it's a popular Disney thing. I mean, I totally get it. But listeners of this podcast know, Kyle, you and I are not the biggest Aladdin people. Could care less. So... I fired up a whole new world and I was like, all right, let me listen to this song. Let me watch the sequence and let me try and soak in what the people love about this. And I was distracted by something I had never noticed before with this song. And that is all of the landmarks around the world that they fly past in this three minute song. Okay. They fly past. The Sphinx, the Acropolis, and they end up in the Forbidden City in China. And then I guess they have to fly back to Agrabah, which is somewhere in like Jordan, because they reference Arabia and the Jordan River. Please so tell me I, you mapped this out. <laughs> I mapped this out, and I did some math here, Kyle. <laughs> oh, here we go. Because I could not proceed with analyzing this song without knowing exactly how far they traveled during this song. So, from Agrabah to Egypt to Greece to China. So, from the beginning of the song to the end of the song, which is about... Where did you put Agrabah? I put Where, Agrabah somewhere in Jordan, kay. near the Jordan River, because they referenced the Jordan River in Aladdin as well as Arabia. Perfect. From the beginning of the song to the end of the song, they traveled 5,743 miles. Zoom in. Root... Round trip, that's 10,100 if you include them having to fly back to Agrabah, but they don't show that. So sure. we can't assume. So 
They flew 5,743 miles in 105 seconds. That means they were flying 197,000 miles per hour. Okay? <laughs> to give you some context, a bullet a bullet travels at 1,700 miles per hour. So Aladdin and Jasmine are flying 116 times faster than a bullet. They're superheroes. Their bones would be turned to liquid. Their skin would be gelatinous. They would be blobs. Their bodies would not be able to hold up at that speed. Okay? The thing that's crazy about this is that Santa Claus is still faster than Aladdin and Jasmine. Whoa. Yeah. They're, they're still slower than Santa. There's still some uh, competition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's still some competition. Um, absolutely absurd. So then I was like, all right, this song's ridiculous. I'm going to watch That's How You Know. And I'm a New Yorker. I actually spent the day yesterday in Central Park. So I fired up That's How You Know, watching it on YouTube. And all of a sudden, I realized, you know what? These guys are kind of doing the same thing. They're bouncing around <laughs> Central Park, shot to shot. Like one second, they're by a bridge. And the next second, they're at Belvedere Castle. Like, okay. Now I have to do this whole thing. So I mapped every single spot. The camera was set up in Central Park. I spent hours (laughs) looking at satellite images of the park and comparing it with the photos I have in my phone. And I, with 100% accuracy, mapped the 13 filming locations in Central Park of That's How You Know. I mapped mapped out those, those locations in order. If Giselle and Robert could somehow run in a straight line between all of these locations, which they can't, but let's say best case scenario, they somehow could just run straight. Sure. They they would have run 3.7 miles, <laughs> which is not completely insurmountable. A lot of the locations are fairly close together, but they do it in 174 seconds, which means <laughs> that they... Breaking. They are running 77 miles per hour <laughs> during that musical number. To give you some context, the fastest distance runner alive is Elliot Kipchoge, who ran a two-hour marathon, which means he runs about 13 miles an hour. The fastest sprinter ever, Usain Bolt, runs 27.8 miles per hour. So Giselle and Robert are 2.75 times faster than Usain Bolt. Congratulations to them on being the fastest humans on Earth. So we have some lightning fast magic carpenters and some super fast runners. Just thought that was some fun science behind these two uh, musical numbers. I love it. So neither of these are particularly realistic in any way when it comes to locations. So let's talk about the music, guys. First of all, Aladdin is a little sketchball. We know this. Um... This is a dang good song, though, guys. Like, it slaps pretty hard. It's pretty fun. It's one of those songs that when you hear it, you want to sing along. But I was like, you know what? I have to dig deeper into the song. I have to look at the lyrics. I have to look for the metaphors in here. What are we trying to say about love? Because I think that's going to be important in us analyzing all of these love songs. What is the song teaching us about love? So here's where this song really fails for me. Because Aladdin and Jasmine in this duet are offering completely different things. Aladdin is singing about a whole new world as a metaphor. Aladdin comes from the streets. He comes from a life of adventure where he doesn't have a lot, 
but he has a really big heart and he cares about the people around him. You see him give some of his bread to a child at one point. So mm-hmm. when he's singing about a whole new world to Jasmine, he's offering things like bread. <laughs> sure, bread, but he says he said he's the one who says a new fantastic point of view. Rarely do people, when they're talking about point of views, refer to a physical point of view. Usually that's a term used for uh, some type of mental state. Change your point of view mentally on this situation. So that, in my opinion, is what Aladdin is offering. But Jasmine, her parts in this song, she says things like, A dazzling place I never knew. Unbelievable sights. This, in my opinion, is her referring to physical, a physical whole new world. In the movie, she's always she wants to break free from the palace. She wants to get to a whole a whole literal whole new world, and Aladdin flies her there. So there's a disconnect between what Aladdin is saying and what Jasmine is saying. And to me, if you think about it that way, a whole new world is not necessarily about these two people falling in love, which is what it's supposed to be. This is supposed to be the moment where Jasmine falls for Aladdin, finally. In my opinion, it's just an ironic moment, and it's where Aladdin's lie passes the point of no return. In a way, it's tragic to witness. It's like, oh, Aladdin, you're in too deep now. You just completely sold this woman something that is not what she thinks she's buying. So I do not like A Whole New World for that reason. That's How You Know is a fun song. It comes from the same camp as a lot of the Teen Beach Movie stuff that we talked yes. about last week. That whole movie it's, is like Teen Beach Movie, just fairy tale version. It's very parody. It's very pastiche. Mm-hmm. Um, it lives in the same realm. But the thing that's interesting about this particular number is that it's not that corny. It's not really making fun of the fairy tale genre in this moment. If anything, it's trying to credit what the fairy tale genre does with the topic of love. This sure. is Giselle sharing with Robert her perspective on love. And Robert is this guy who's very like level-headed and down-to-earth, and he's in a relationship with Adele Dazeem, and <laughs> the, the love isn't necessarily there. And this is Giselle kind of like opening him to the yeah. idea of a true love and... It's really a, a great moment, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that the the part that is being made fun of is like things needing to be explained in song. That's where like it's being made fun of. Every, the world stops. They're in the middle of a city. They're going to break out in song and everyone around them is going to be in on the song. That's the joke. But it's not the, the content of the song that's the joke this time. And I, I really enjoy that. The thing that... I appreciated was this is my first time revisiting this movie since I moved to New York and it is so spot on like the types of people that are in Central Park (laughs) depicted in this number she like gets some construction guys together she gets a random mariachi band in there a woman who's like dressed as a candle (laughs) Oh, people doing like a wedding photo shoot. I mean, this is all, this is just stuff you see every single day in the park. Mm -hmm. So like they absolutely nailed that joke. For me, I think that's how you know has way more value to me as a viewer than A Whole New World does. Whole New World is a super fun song to sing. 
But if we're talking about something we can carry with us outside of the movie, I like that's how you know. That's the criteria I'm going with for this matchup. So I have the upset. I have the 16 upsetting the one. I got how that's how you know advancing. All right. Um, I really dove into these songs, Chris. So I, I'm going to allow the audience to really walk away with a little knowledge on all of these songs here. Give um, it to me. Here we go. So Whole New World. This is uh, uh, our first Mencken and Ashman hit on this list. And that's going to come up multiple times. Mencken's going to return with other lyricists. Uh, it's a name that we're going to be very familiar with by the end of this. It's sung by uh, Leah Salonga and Brad Kane. Leah's very well known in the Disney community. She's a Disney legend, singing voice for both Jasmine and Mulan. Um, outside of Disney, Chris, she was the first Asian woman to win a Tony Award and the first Filipino artist to sign with an international record label. So she's a, she's a badass. Um, Brad Kane, no one cares. This is really his only claim to fame. Uh, this song won the 1993 Best Original Song uh, Oscar, as well as the Grammy for Song of the Year in 94. And it beat out artists like Billy Joel and Neil Young. Dang. Like this Disney love ballad beat out like actual pop music. So it just kind of goes to show why, you know, Disney music is so widely accepted as a genre within pop music because the you know, media and critics treat it as pop music, which makes sense. And Disney music has a history of that to begin with. On the other side, that's how you know it's from Enchanted. This is also an Alamankin hit with Stephen Schwartz as the lyricist, uh, performed by Amy Adams, who's in absolutely everything. You just look her up. She's a very well-known actress. Uh, it was nominated for Best Song Across the Board, Oscars, Grammys, Golden Globe, but didn't win. And Chris will love to know that his girl, Demi Lovato, has a cover of this that she performed on the Jonas Brothers Burning Up Tour in 2008. So she was singing this thing at every venue <laughs> in that 2008 circuit, which I think is hilarious. And if you go and watch it, it is something. I don't know if you had a chance to visit it, but it is something. I did come across it, and it was very camp rock. Yes. <laughs> it was really like in your face. It was yes. Yeah. It was like uh, it felt like um, one of the Pop Goes Punk albums. Yes, you know, yes. like it, they just like very over the top, trying to be punk. It's something. Uh, highly recommend watching the YouTube video of it, though. Um, so a whole new world, Chris. I think you hit it on the head. Uh, I think you. You, your point of view on what the lyrics meant is interesting and I think it's valid but it's not necessarily what I took away from it I brought this up in the best song discussion that I felt like the entire thing both from his perspective and her perspective is that this new relationship is going to take them to places they've never been both relationship wise as well as like physically in this world travel sense like Aladdin very much wants to like become this new person and Jasmine very much wants to get away from like this royalty life. Um, and she sees him as an escape from Agrabah and he sees her as an escape from, you know, his peasantness uh, and within Agrabah. So I think that those are two kind of dual metaphors that I took out of it. Um, it's, it's very much like this new love metaphor that like, you're floating on air. You're on cloud nine. You're literally soaring through. You're feeling like 
you've you're you're experiencing things that you've never experienced because love is so new to you and i think that's just using flight as a metaphor for that so i see your point for sure but i didn't take that at all i took it from from that kind of point of view in the context of the movie it's very interesting because it's romantic but aladdin's such a fraud that it casts a shadow on this entire song in the moment right like we know he's a fraud and we know that like the genie has been trying to stop him from taking it too far and this is the moment where he does so as you watch you can't help but be like oh man aladdin's in too deep this is this is not this is not what he should be doing so from that context it kind of takes a little bit out of it it feels like jasmine is falling in love with somebody that aladdin is not and is that true love is that how love should be no i don't think so at all you're completely correct about that's how you know it's talking about like actual love things in a movie that's making fun of this kind of princess genre but it's it's a serious song the satirical aspect is like new york city shutting down and everybody knowing the dance number I think this is a really interesting aspect of love that they kind of dive in here. It's like, sure, you can like say you're in love and sure, um, being with somebody, you you might feel like that's enough to declare that love is there. But some people have a love language that they need to be shown or they need to, you know, see these acts of kindness or, or little things done for them. And it's while I don't know that that speaks for everybody as a whole, um, she recognizes that um what was his name robert robert for robert's mcdreamy yeah who he refuses to propose to for whatever reason right so um they're just kind of dissecting an aspect of relationships that people experience and i think that's cool um chris i'm with you on this one whole new world's going down i think it's because i it's aladdin's a fraud so it just casts this awful shadow on the song it is a slap for sure. But I think that's how you know is also an incredible slap. And it does dive into more specific aspects of love than just kind of the there's better falling in love songs in this bracket, in my opinion, than a whole new world's message of floating through the air. So I'm I'm passing on. That's how you know as well. Elizabeth, big upset in the first round of this bracket. What are your thoughts? I was not expecting this at all. <laughs> I'm a little, uh a little angered, but after listening to your guys' thoughts, I have to agree. Um, the message that That's How You Know is sending is way more uh, important and should be heard more than the kind of like fraudulent uh, identity situation that Aladdin is dealing with in this duet. Um, I love these two singers, um, Brad and Leah, they are artists and I don't, on YouTube there's lots of studio recordings of them doing this piece and they also have another duet together. I can't remember the name right now, but it's gorgeous. I love these singers. I love their, their voice. And then when I heard, I listened to Amy Adams sing this, That's How You Know, and the first like two measures she's like, huh? 
<laughs> how do you know she's like <laughs> it's just really like kind of awful but then like some auto-tune gets thrown in there and it's like okay um so as far as like a musical standpoint like a whole new world we can agree upon is such a bop um but as far as the message the enchanted song deserves to move forward and I think part of Amy Adams not hitting that note is that she's breaking out into song in the middle of New York City and expecting it to be like perfect. It's still it's just all playing into that enchanted theme of like none of this would ever happen. You know, she wouldn't just magically start singing. and It would sound amazing. I, I don't know. I think it's great. All right, Chris, let's go ahead and talk about the number eight. I won't say I'm in love from Hercules versus the number nine. Something there from Beauty and the Beast talk about uh, I Won't Say I'm in Love really quick. Alan Menken's back. Uh, it's sung by Susan Egan, who is the voice of Meg. Uh, this is an underrated slap, honestly. It, when you think about like Disney music, I feel like this one slips through the cracks of people's like memory of Disney songs, especially in Hercules when you have like Zero to Hero and Go the Distance right like right off the bat. Um, and what, I, what was whatever the opening song was, um, but yeah, it's, it's a power packed movie of songs, uh, that this one slips through the crack, but it's underrated and it's great. Uh, we're probably going to end up doing an underrated song bracket, I think. And this, this one, I th will definitely be on it. Something there, Beauty and the Beast, Mankin and Ashman sung by the entire squad of Beauty and the Beast. Everybody has a damn lyric in this song. And uh, I'm declaring it here on this podcast that because there's the use of sleigh bells, this song is a Christmas song. Oh, and we should be playing it. We should be playing it at Christmas every year, right in between Jingle Bells. Oh my God, I had a drink for that. Yeah, it, this is a Christmas song. Wow! Uh, right after Jingle Bells and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, throw this on. Uh, okay, so I won't say I'm in love. I really enjoy that. It's kind of influenced by like doo-wop and using the muses who are arguably the best part of Hercules uh, as kind of the backup singers in the song and and really leaning into the doo-wopness of it uh the it's funny because listening to this now in in this very much of culture of like men ain't shit, which is generally true that she's like fighting that idea that like i shouldn't be falling in love with this guy because like men suck and like i don't even really know him i shouldn't be like entranced by him because you know i have no time for guys uh and it, it dives into that kind of internal battle because i think that there's a lot of times from both sides of the coin and any you know starting to fall in love where you kind of question maybe why or you or this person has a reputation or a type and you you kind of create flags for yourself that might not be there and so to dive in and kind of dissect that and see the internal battle of meg is a interesting way for disney to go that's completely different from like snow white white who's just like someday my prince will come you know it's flipping the switch on the on that entire dumb genre my favorite line in it is uh face it like a grown-up when you gonna own up i think that's just such a funny like line by the muses to sing in the background like face it like a grown-up <laughs> and as like adults watching it you're like you know i could take that advice every day i should just face things like a grown-up damn it 
like I said, it's a it's a great song showing the internal battle that some might face falling in love or even in a relationship that we don't get to see. And at the very end, it's it, she kind of reaches the resolution, right? She says, at least out loud, I won't say I'm in love. And so there's still some work to be done there. She's not fully convinced, but it, it, deep down, she's in love. This is a this is a love song. Something there. Just I'm I want to obliterate it off this bracket. Whoa, okay. Let's let's uh I mean they bring up in it like how man, this guy was really like and it I don't believe that like people are mean to others because they like them. I'm not take me out of that camp. I I don't believe in it. I think that's a dumb excuse. People shouldn't be rude to other people. I don't like in general. So like this whole song is about like Bell being like, you know what? He was really rude when I first met him. He was kind of brash. He kidnapped me and he locked me up and lo- and took my father from me. And, you know, but now he like eats dinner with me and something something's changed. I think I'm loving him now. And <laughs> and it's just like, are you what are you saying right now? Really? That's what we want. We want to accept that people being like rude and, you know, abusive and destructive can change. And you should suddenly like be able to to fall in love when you don't even really like know the person. Now, granted, this is also a song that takes place in a montage. So like who knows how much time has passed? Who knows how much time she's actually spent to get the know to know the guy? But like, listen, don't fall in Stockholm, everybody. Don't fall in love with your kidnapper. That's just, let's not do that. Let's not do that. This song is just filled with too much for me, too much uh, controversy, and uh, I, I don't like it. So I'm passing, uh, I won't say I'm in love on, pass something there. Yeah, I um, agree with you to an extent. I think this is my favorite song in Beauty and the Beast. Um partially because it is the one time where we get some insight into the beast's emotions, which is something that's really lacking in the animated version of this movie. Yeah. And I think if some more time was spent with him, maybe he got a song, one like he gets in the Broadway version as well as the live action version, Evermore, super underrated song. We might not be so like, oh, Stockholm Syndrome, Stockholm Syndrome, like about this situation. In something there, we get that one little line. She looked this way, I thought I saw, and when we touched, she didn't shudder at my paw. Like, you know, it's it's like the one beast line we get. I got to appreciate the song for that, you know? Okay, okay. I really, really wish the beast had hit Belle with that snowball. Um, (laughs) He rolls up a giant like beast sized snowball and she like throws the little BB at him and it, he like yep. drops it. I wish she just like weak threw it at her and she just like disappeared. She was just like gone. Uh, what if in the new and like the live action, how much would you have hated if she got hit by it and just like turned into Olaf? Oh my God. Stop. Yeah. Honestly, like that's probably my biggest problem with this song is I wish that I wish that that snowball would have be- <laughs> become a projectile. Uh, I'm advancing. I won't say I'm in love on as well. Uh, I agree with everything you said about it. Super fun. Uh, there's some more complexities in it that I would like to talk about next week. 
But uh, Elizabeth, any thoughts on something there? I completely agree with y'all. Um, I like the kind of like anti-love theme that's happening in I Won't Say I'm In Love. I also, it's very important to note the title of the song is I Won't Say, and in parentheses, I'm in love. Yeah. So there's kind of an interesting, you know, perspective there. Um, also, the scene is just wonderful, and I love Susan Egan's voice. She was Belle. She was singing Belle. And then you kind of get to explore her, like, pop side and her, like, doo-wop side, and it's beautiful and gorgeous. Um, but I agree with everything you guys say. Something there is kind of just like this sad montage, this like ensemble montage to like kind of move things along. And um, there's some, there, there is something there in something there, but <laughs> there's more in I Won't Say. So Totally. All right. Well, let's move on to our next matchup. It's the number four seed, Once Upon a Dream from Sleeping Beauty versus number 13, Lost in the Woods from Frozen 2. Now... Let's talk about two songs about sad boys in the woods. Yep. One of them handles himself with great class, and one does not. <laughs> so we'll start with Filthy Phil, Prince Philip, in Once Filthy Upon a Phil. Dream from Sleeping Beauty. Um, it's very, very difficult to watch this sequence when viewing it through the 2020 lens. This movie came out in 1959, which was like at the edge of the cliff when America was about to full-on dive into counterculture and the hippie movement. The Vietnam War was about to start. Pretty much the foundation of the way that we think about everything today was built right after Sleeping Beauty came out. So this is like the very last installment of classic Disney Tales of Enchantment mm -hmm. because the next Disney princess movie after 1959's Sleeping Beauty is 1991's Beauty and the Beast. So like this is, this is the last remnant of that. So it's really, really hard to just like shake off this, you know, 2020 liberal critical reading of this scene, but I'm going to try. Kyle, we love Sleeping Beauty as a movie. It made it to the yep. finals of our best Disney animated movie bracket. And the Once Upon a Dream sequence was part of the reason why. It's really a beautifully animated sequence. The music's great. Uh, the vocals, the lyrics, everything is just short, sweet, to the point, uh, and fun. Uh, the Sleeping Beauty, originally a ballet by Tchaikovsky. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest of all time composers. And so while this song is not completely original, uh, it gets obviously major points for that. I mean, it's kind of unfathomable for me to believe that Tchaikovsky can be up against the Lopez's in a, a bracket <laughs> of ours, or maybe one day Lin-Manuel Miranda. No disrespect to the Lopez's or Lin-Manuel, but like Jay, Tchaikovsky's better. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Taylor had the ultimate tie-breaking vote that put Sleeping Beauty to rest in the best Disney animated bracket uh, when she referenced the kind of consent issues with 
kissing Aurora while she was asleep. And there's certainly that present in this Once Upon a Dream sequence as well. Uh, there is a young woman dancing alone in the woods, and suddenly a man comes up and grabs her. 100% of the time, that's a bad time. So when we see yes. it in 2020, we cringe really hard. We go, oh, mm-hmm. not great. Uh, but to enjoy this moment, I think we have to throw everything out the window. And we have to be like, okay, this is a fantasy, and it is Briar Rose's fantasy. This is the dream that she dreamt. She dreamt that the man she loved would come out of nowhere and grab her, and he, she would know that it was him the moment he touched her, and his touch would be warm and completely um, non-threatening, and he would be a true gentleman. It's so, so hard for us to think that that is realistic, but in the reality of Sleeping Beauty and Briar Rose's brain, I guess it is. So the question becomes, like, is this sequence offensive enough that we cannot look at it from kind of like an outside perspective and and consciously look past the problems with it and, and look at it for what it is? And it's a beautiful, simple love song about... Uh, a dream of love and being whisked away by someone that uh, suddenly comes into your life, which I think we'd all be foolish to say that we've never dreamt something like that in our lives before. Right. Yeah. So let's look at lost in the woods on the other side. Uh, Lost in the woods is it's pure greatness. I mean, uh, much like that's how, you know, lost in the woods is in that parody pastiche camp. Uh, yep. It's mimicking an '80s love ballad, maybe maybe a band like Poison, something like that. Uh, and the visuals definitely add to that. You've got Kristoff singing into the pine cone at the beginning of the song. <laughs> You've got all of the Svens singing backup, uh, and, and mm-hmm. there's a bunch of moody lighting and full frontal close-ups of Kristoff's face. It's all executed perfectly. And even if you don't get the joke, it's still just really funny. It's very ham-fisted. It's great. But in addition to it being really humorous, it's also a very heartfelt and real song. I mean, first of all, we get a prince's perspective on a loving relationship, which is rare. I mean, it's not the only moment of that we get on this bracket, but it is rare. And it's a shift in the character that is Kristoff. Uh, the first Frozen movie, Kristoff is this guy who is very resistant to the idea of love. He ultimately gives in, and in this moment in Lost in the Woods, he has that taken away from him. So it's right. like he's he's lost all over again. He's put too much weight into this relationship that he has with Anna. He's used that to define his identity, and now that it's gone, he doesn't know who he is. And that is such a huge part of the theme of Frozen 2. It's a theme that we also see with Anna and Elsa. Both yep. Anna and Kristoff have to confront that situation be like i have to find strength from within i can't rely on my relationship with another to define me or to give me happiness in every moment that is such an important idea for viewers to grasp especially children um it's important for every loving relationship for each person to have their own sense of identity and independence and individuality and this lost in the woods song in addition to it be to being really fun it speaks to that so I guess if I'm grading these songs with my like original criteria, uh, is this a song that we can take a lot away from, or is this a song that's just kind of fun? <sighs> I, I really hate to, to 
vote against Once Upon a Dream because I think it's a beautiful piece. I think Lost in the Woods is more fun and it makes me feel more things. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Once Upon a Dream you brought up is uh, based on a waltz from the actual ballet by Tchaikovsky. Um, George Bruns is the one that composed it and George Bruns is another Disney legend that co-wrote Yoho for Pirates. Pirates is back for the what? Third bracket in a row. He also composed scores for Sword in the Stone, The Jungle Book, Aristocats, Robin Hood, and the best Disney animated film of all time, 101 Dalmatians. Swerve. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of power behind Once Upon a Dream, and Once Upon a Dream kind of becomes that a cent- like quintessential Disney sound, right? It's this kind of waltzy orchestral love song with a, a singing princess and prince, and it's kind of what we all think of when we think, you know, Disney princess princes love songs um but what's real weird about this one is like the whole message is like i've i've dreamt about you i've i feel like i know you from my dreams and i've seen you before and this just makes so much sense and in reality in context of the movie like yeah aurora thinks it's a dream because she was like cursed when she met philip when she was a baby so it's really, in my mind, it's just like memories of actually seeing him when she was a baby from a past that she doesn't remember. And Philip is like, <laughs> yo, you know what? I did meet you in a dream. It's like, no, fool, you fell in love with like a baby when you were like 14 years old. Like, get off of this podcast. Get out of here. Filthy Phil. <laughs> I swear. Lost in the Woods is fantastic. You talked about it. Lopez, uh, couple writing this song, writing everything in Frozen. They're the new, you know, powerhouse duo in Disney. Jonathan Groff, Broadway legend, you know. Uh, we obviously, he's back into the circuit of hype because Hamilton's on Disney+. Plus. If you've watched the behind-the-scenes making of Frozen 2, they dive into this song a little bit, and it's creation, and it's super interesting. I won't dive into it. I think it's worth watching on the docuseries so check it out but it's one tidbit from it is that jonathan groff is the sven uh uh backup singers he sings every part of this song which is super funny because in the documentary he's like just screaming into a mic (laughs) different pitches to hit all 16 sven tracks so this is my favorite song from all of the Frozen movies, Chris, and I don't think that comes as a surprise to anybody because I, I, I don't, I didn't hate Frozen when it came out. Like everybody claims that they did. I thought the music's great; it absolutely is. But this is just my favorite song from all of them. I think it's you know, when you get away from being too serious and create a great song that adds to the plot and isn't there just to be funny. I think that's you're doing your job correctly. And that's what the Lopez's did here. They gave justice to Jonathan Groff, who everyone knew from Broadway as having singing chops. And he didn't get a song in Frozen in the first Frozen movie, right? Like, I mean, he did kind of, but he was just singing like parts in the troll song and like, nah, nah, throw it away. Like you said, uh, this, you know, we don't get a whole lot of Prince songs in the Disney catalog, couple on the bracket, but this is a really important one. And I think, like what is the most important is that it's okay to be a sad boy. It's okay to be like a man and feel like you you can have feelings. That's okay. You don't always have to be this like over masculine, you know, 
beast of a human being. You can have feelings and you can feel, you know, uh, fragility every once in a while. That's okay. And it's shown here and it's shown in a funny way to kind of poke fun at it. But I think it's also poking fun at the fact that people think they can't have these feelings. So, you know, when it comes down to being important, falling in love with a baby is not that important to me here. Uh, I think it's actually kind of gross and a little creepy. So I'm moving Lost in the Woods on as well. Elizabeth, any love for Once Upon a Dream? Or are you on this Frozen 2 train? I am right there with you guys on the Frozen 2. I actually, I actually have not seen Frozen 2. <laughs> so see, watching this Lost in the Woods music video was, again... A spiritual experience for me because I love the original Frozen in love with Jonathan Jonathan Groff like literally yep. in love with him so I was very excited to see what he was gonna do here and he blew me away just blew me away so that's enough to say screw the old <laughs> weird prince filthy Philip baby lover Goodbye. Baby lover, you are trash. Wow. You are noise. You are trash. Get out of this podcast. Get out of my life. Jonathan Groff, please walk to the door. Yes, absolutely. Oh, man. All right, cool. So we'll dive even further into Lost in the Woods in the next episode. But let's talk about number five, Love is an Open Door, verse number 12, Mabel Evangeline from Princess and the Frog. I'm going to start over there. Uh, it's a Randy Newman joint, everybody. Randy Newman coming in with these like love songs, "When She Loved Me," this one, and I, it's this one fits more Randy Newman to me than "When She Loved Me," just because the the caricature that has to sing it is so much more closely to the voice of Randy Newman than you know Sarah McLaughlin was. Uh, the song is sung by uh, the character Raymond in Princess and the Frog. But I believe it's not sung by Jim Cummings. It's sung by like Terrence Green or, or something, something, some other guy. I don't think it's sung by Jim Cummings. Um, unless Terrence is the one playing the trumpet. I didn't get to dive in too deep into this. Uh, so maybe when you talk about it, you can correct me. This song, like, it's really sweet in the movie because it kind of reveals who Raymond is in love with and it turns out to be a star so it's very like oh honey what are you doing he doesn't know which is kind of like rude for them to do to this guy who's supposed to be like of cajun descent so i don't really like how they portray him as being this like idiot th the entire time who is so dumb that he falls in love with the star but he's also a bug so like whatever who cares Song's very surface level, unfortunately. I mean, Ray is falling in love with this thing because it's beautiful. We don't really get to, like, dive into love is beyond beauty that so many of these other songs have. So it's, for what it is, it's a cute song, but it just doesn't do a whole lot when it's matched up against some of these other um, love songs in this bracket, including Love is an Open Door. Now, listen, Love is an Open Door is a satirical song that's supposed to make fun of like falling in love at first sight so is this even like qualifying as a love song i don't i don't know i'm like struggling to even fight through it because it's picking at like this love at first sight thing isn't love like that feels like what this entire song is it's meant to make you laugh at the fact that like oh like we we don't finish each other's sand uh, sentences we finish each other's sandwiches that's so funny 
oh, um, let's say something crazy, like let's marry each other after the first night of meeting each other. You know, let's, I don't know. It's, it, it just feels like it's, there are too many jokes in it to discount love at first sight, which is supposed to be this love trope for it to like strongly qualify as a love song in my eyes. It's tough. I, I've been battling with this, Chris, since we made this bracket. And I told you, I texted you right off the bat. I was like, this matchup's going to be tough for me because I've had this thought about love is an open door. I will say that love, in, love is an open door is a slap. It is very catchy. And it gives me big Summer Nights vibe from Greece. Can I interject with maybe my interpretation of the song? Would that help you out? Sure. Hit me. So... I never interpreted the song Love is an Open Door as a love song about Anna and Hans. I very much interpret it as, I guess it's easy for me to say that like after I've seen the movie a bunch of times, but what that song is doing is solidifying the theme of the door in Frozen. The door is a theme throughout this movie. Mm -hmm. We get it with the knock on the door, the very first sound we hear. Elsa, knock, 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 knock. Do you want to build a snowman? You get, finally, they're opening up the gates. Mm-hmm. You get, the cold never bothered me anyway, and Elsa slams the door. Yeah. Uh, you get in the reprise of first time in forever. You don't have to keep your distance anymore. Please don't slam the door, that kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 So this whole movie is about thawing a frozen heart by opening doors to the people that you love. Yeah. And that's what this song is literally singing about. Love is an open door. I mean, that's that's the thesis statement of Frozen. So, sure. like, I get the idea that, like, it's not a love song between these two characters, but um, I think it's a love song still. Absolutely. And it, it comments on love 100%. Yeah, I think it comments on love and kind of discounts the idea that love at first sight is a real thing. And so, and I guess in the grand scheme of things, it's a love song because it is talking about love, but I don't think it's talking about like love in the, in the sense that I want it to, which is like meaningful love. Um, and that's the same thing with Mabel Evangeline. Like it's, it's superficial love with Raymond. He just thinks this star is beautiful and is in love with it. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, here, I'm I'm going to go ahead and just say, Chris, just for for saying it and to make you hop in that I'm I just I'm not sold on love is an open door. I'm just not. I'm passing my bell Evangeline on. Well, I guess if I was going to make an argument for my bell Evangeline, uh, I would disagree with you that it reveals how stupid Ray is. I would say in the moment it feels that way, but upon second viewing of Princess and the Frog, it more reveals his dedication to his lover. And I think it speaks to a very interesting type of relationship and a very interesting type of feeling one might have in a relationship where the person mm-hmm. that the person that you love shines so much brighter than you feel like you do 
and you feel like how can this person who is so beautiful and vibrant love somebody like me who is yes. so dim and the fact that ray eventually like gets moved up in the stars like next to evangeline like mm-hmm. that shows to me that that is what this song is about like he's about a guy who is in kind of this like relationship where he's outkicked his coverage and it's kind of like almost hurting him a little bit like he's he has no confidence in himself yeah sure um so that's what i think of when i think of this song and i think there's plenty to interpret here i don't think it's surface level at all i really really love listening to this song just like audio only uh it's very like folky Same. Um, yep love you, the trumpet yes yeah, so a lot. jim cummings does sing the song okay okay yeah. uh, and terrence blanchard is is a trumpeteer okay perfect but kyle the thing that is awful about this song is this beautiful piece is interrupted by stupid frog romance yeah the absolute worst worst part about this movie is just how the relationship between tiana and naveen is so unbelievable and it's rooted in absolutely nothing and it's sad that like this is the moment that you're supposed to like be like oh my gosh like they love each other because ray sung a song and they heard it uh there's like some weird frog dancing some weird frog (laughs) almost kissing weird frog (laughs) flirting and it's icky and it distracts from this beautiful piece and i hate it so (laughs) I appreciate the metaphors, the fun in Love is an Open Door. I am advancing that on past Mabel Evangeline, which means we're going to Elizabeth for the tiebreak. You really put me in a bind here. Oh, okay. Well, I started off the podcast saying I'm surprised that Love is an Open Door made it on here because of the irony. Because Hans has these evil plans to exploit Anna's royalty and and further his own royal life. So, but if you take it out of context, it is a cute, fun song that shows the... When you fall in love really quickly, it does feel like... Things are happening, like, for a coincidence, or, like, we finish each other's sandwiches, like, that kind of thing. Like, I understand that. There's a lot of, like, falling in love super fast. Things aren't things aren't the norm, you know? Like, you don't follow the usual, like, falling in love process. It's very different. But Princess and the Frog, however, I th- it's more genuine to me. It's more real. And I'm gonna have to move uh, Mabel Evangeline. Whoa! Because I just cannot deal with the fake Hans situation. I just can't. Because it's so exciting. Like you think, you think like he's also this kind of weird guy. Because Anna's like really weird and like her own person. And like, oh my God, she's finally found like her match. But alas, it's all based on lies face it's a lot like a whole new world i am not gonna lie that is yeah i I am not 
particularly mad about that one. Uh, but let's move over to the other side of the bracket. We've got Beauty and the Beast versus Lavender Blue, a.k.a. Lavender's Blue. Uh, so let's talk about Beauty and the Beast. I said this on the best song bracket. I think this song is terribly overrated. Um, I got really deep into it, so I won't regurgitate everything right now. But um, I just I just want somebody to tell me I'm not crazy that the animation sequence does not look good. Everyone talks about how this is like a groundbreaking animation sequence, and they look like they're in Toontown Online. They look like they're <laughs> dancing around Toontown Online. It's like what a reference. It's like the ba- most basic of computer generated backgrounds. And I cannot focus on them because I'm like, look at that pillar. It literally looks like it's from Toontown. Oh my gosh. This That's is hilarious. Awful. That awful chandelier. Another yes, the chandelier. And don't get me started on the cherubs. The weird cherub stuff. Like <laughs> I don't I don't even know what's going on with that. Absolutely shocking. Um, another re- uh, another reason I don't really like this song is that it's sung by Mrs. Potts. I, I might have said this uh, in the best song bracket, but um, she's able to articulate their feelings with strange accuracy. I love seeing the insight into characters' hearts when they sing themselves, and we're kind of robbed of that in this very important moment in the movie. Lavender Blue, a.k.a. Lavender's Blue. Wow, this song has a history. This song is 500 years old, kind of. Yes, yeah. This is like an old, old ballad written during the Dark Ages, and (laughs) it was a poem or something traveling Mm -hmm. minstrels would sing. It's like a folk song. Yes, and so uh, it was resurrected and become popular in the mainstream modern times with this recording for the movie So Dear to My Heart. I know this song from like a Disney cassette I had when I was a little kid, and it was just a bunch of Disney songs, but it was pre-Renaissance. So it was like, the songs was like, You Can Fly, right? Little April Showers, The Main Street Electrical Parades, yeah, something from Robin Hood, and Lavender Blue. And I had no idea where this song was from. And then I saw the Cinderella live action movie in 2015 and I was like, oh, this song's from Cinderella? I I feel like it's not. And so as we were doing research for this, I was like, oh my gosh. This song, like people know this song and it's from something. Mm -hmm. And I finally got to figure out what it's from. It's from So Dear to My Heart, which is a Disney live action movie from the 50s. And it's not on Disney Plus, but I did the difficult, difficult work here, and I watched it for us. And it is a waste of time. Do not watch oh this movie. Gosh. This is a movie about a kid who wants to own a racehorse because a racehorse comes to his little farm town. Uh, and instead, his grandma's sheep has a baby black sheep, and he keeps the black sheep even though his grandma wants to butcher it and then he wants to take the black sheep to the county fair so he can win a blue ribbon and that's the movie that is so (laughs) dear to my heart it has major like little house on the prairie vibes or like some novel that we would have had to read in like third grade or something that's like what Mm -hmm. is 
like life on the plains or the prairie or something. <laughs> Where the red fern grows. Another, yes. another, the great horn spoon, like just <laughs> completely irrelevant to us these days. Uh, so this song, Lavender Blue, is about one person singing to another. It's very just simple folk song. It's like, one day I'll be king and you'll be my queen. Like, that's really the song. It's like a minute long. And they say dilly dilly after every single line. <laughs> so in the movie, in the context of So Dear to My Heart, when, I, when the movie started, I was like, how are they going to fit this in here? And it's basically the uncle singing the song to the grandma to try to butter her up to get her to say yes to let the little kids go to the county fair. Oh, uh, that's the context. Right, which makes sense because this was a time where those types of like fantasy enchantment songs were popular. And it's like, oh, yes. I mean, this is turn of the century set in 1903. There's also a Christopher Columbus sequence in this movie, the random animated Christopher Columbus sequence. What? It is, it is very strange, and I'm glad it's not on Disney+, Plus, so no one has to watch it. Um, but really, Lavender Blue has no effect at all on the movie. Like, he plays the song, and Grandma says no, and, like, that's it. Like, it doesn't even do anything. It's sung by Burl Ives. Kyle, you can talk a little bit more about Burl Ives, but uh, the king of Christmas music, Burl yep. Ives. Um, yep. But uh, Lavender Blue gets resurrected in, in 2015 with the live-action Cinderella, Lily James, sings it as well as her mother sings it. It's like the song that her mom sings to little Cinderella before the mom dies. It's kind of a, a slightly different version, but it's 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 same, same, but different. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it's the thing that gets the prince's attention or the, the prince's uh, right-hand man, Zarazan Doxos from Game of Thrones, whoever <laughs> that dude is. She's singing Lavender's Blue, and then he hears, and he's like, wait, there is another in this house. Who is it? I think it's a cute song. I think if we're talking about authentic music, I think this song is extremely authentic. I think it's really fun. It's really light. It's folky. Straight to the point. It's a fun listen. I'm going Lavender Blue in the upset here. Oh, man. Okay. Well, uh, you put me on the spot, Burl Ives. Uh, you think of him when you think of a holly jolly Christmas. Uh, that's our that's our boy, Burl Ives. Uh, interesting fact: a lot of his material were was lost in the 2008 fire at Universal. So there was a lot of like his written work, and you know, uh, just a, a ton of stuff that was lost in the fire at Universal in 2008. So. That's super unfortunate. Um, but yeah, he does a ton of Christmas stuff. He's kind of like the quintessential, you know, folk song artist. Uh, and that's a lot of Christmas songs, to be honest, is is that genre. So it makes sense that he'd be singing this one here. He also did Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yep. Which Grandma yeah, Bower Socks loves to tell the story of where she was when Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer came out. And apparently it was a bop with little kids in the 50s when that song came out. They're like, oh, Rudolph, let's go. 
I need wait where she was. She I was in, she, in a bit. she was in like a department store soda fountain and she was like and the radio came on and it was Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer and we all started <laughs> dancing. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> it got crazy. Shut down the department store. Um so this song Lavender Blue. I remember seeing Cinderella, which we've said on the podcast before, and I stand by it, is the best of the live-action remakes. Uh, I remember watching it and being like, wow, this, where, did this, where did this song come from? Because like you, I've heard it in the context of Disney before, but never knowing what it actually came from. So when I heard it, I was like, oh, I need to look into this, and then learned it was from So Dear to My Heart, and I didn't watch that movie. Don't. So this song was like written air quotes by Elliot Daniel, who's a uh, lyricist that wrote songs for Marilyn Monroe, Bing Crosby, and Dinah Shore, just to name a few during his time, which is pretty impressive. Uh, it was also composed by Larry Morey, and Larry Morey wrote all of the songs for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So that's where we know him from. I think even, like, it's kind of a, this song's weird in context of, like, would you say an uncle singing to the grandma? So like a, a, a son singing to the mom um, because he's talking about like kings and queens and stuff. Uh, so like out of context, I really enjoy it. Like I'm going to give you the the best and the most that I can out of this relationship. Like if I'm the king, you're the queen. Like you're we're in this together. We're partners. Like I really like that message. It's very, I think it's very simple. You get a lot of dilly dilly. It's catchy. It's it's catchy. Uh, It's a cute song. I like it. This song was also nominated for the Academy Award for Best Song, and it lost to Baby It's Cold Outside. Oh, okay. There you go. So as we're talking about awards, Beauty and the Beast is like the powerhouse of song awards. It's another Mencken and Ashman hit. 1992 Gold Globe for Best Original Song, 1992 Academy Award for Best Original Song, 1993 Grammy for Best Original Song written specifically for motion picture or television and Best Pop Instrumental Performance. This song just raked in the awards. Uh, It's ranked number 62 on American Film Institute's 100 Greatest Songs in Film History. Wow. Crazy. That is just crazy to me. Sung by Angela Lansbury. Uh she's a gem and we should protect her at all costs for the duration of her life here on earth because she is fantastic she uh is known obviously for miss potts she starred in disney's bed knobs and broodsticks she made a cameo in mary poppins returns as the balloon lady she won an honorary oscar and a lifetime achievement award from the british academy of film and television arts and she's named a dame commander of the order of the british empire what she is <laughs> she's she's crazy she's she's world renowned as just being a great human being we talked about this in the best song bracket you dove into it a lot in the best song bracket it's you critiqued the idea of like tale as old as time like what's what's a tale as old as time and i retorted that it's the idea that like two people that wouldn't ever fall in love fell in love it's kind of that like i didn't i would have never have expected to fall in love with them and yet here i am that's the tale as old as time and uh it's it's weird because it doesn't it 
the song is just that. She just continues to say, like, the tale is old as time. Someone bends unexpectedly. No one was prepared for it, but it was meant to be. It's as sure as the sun was rising. It's as sure as the sun was setting. Like, that's all the sun. That's all sun. That's all the song is saying. It's just like this unexpected love was expected, which is clever, but it's also just so if once I I'm talking about surface level again, it's so surface level. It's just like that love shouldn't have happened. Here it is. It happened. We could have all called it. It's like, of course, we could have all called it. This is a Disney movie. It's literally called Beauty and the Beast. We knew this was going to happen. Lavender Blue is a sleeper, Chris. It's uh, it's a very cute kind of like a wooing song. It's a song sing- sung to somebody with great intentions. In my mind, it's we're, we're going to ride and die together. We're going to find success. We're going to get through troubles together. It's a song that's lasted, as you said, for 500 years, and it's had a resurgence even as recently as five years ago. Uh, I think that we need to put some respect on Lavender Blue's name, and that's what I'm doing here. I'm passing it on. Elizabeth. Wow. The folk song makes it past the Mencken hit in this bracket. Your thoughts? Yet another upset, but it's rightfully justified by everything you guys spoke about earlier. I think we have to maintain the integrity of love and appealing and... and, uh, genuinity is that a word sure it is now we're making it (laughs) um so great job you guys why thank you all right let's go ahead and chat a little bit about the number seven kiss the girl versus number 10 bella note Start with Kiss the Girl from Little Mermaid, another Mencken Ashman hit sung by Emmanuel Wright, who is the voice of Sebastian. Talked about him a little bit in our best Broadway song bracket, so listen to that to hear a little bit more about him. The song was nominated for an Oscar and Golden Globe for Best Original Song, but it lost to Under the Sea. Same movie, same singer. Uh, That is kind of not surprising in my eyes. Uh, There's been a ton of different covers for this song. Uh, Disney had a period when Disney radio was a big thing and they would have contemporary Disney like artists quote unquote that would cover these songs and my favorite of them there's like three separate ones but my favorite is from uh, I think it's Disney Mania 3 and it's performed by Vitamin C wow I see I'm familiar with the Ashley Tisdale version yes that came afterwards Um, but Vitamin C's is great. It's just so... It's what you would expect from a Vitamin C record. This song I loved growing up. This was my favorite song in The Little Mermaid, actually. And I think it was mostly because I thought it was so funny, the background singers, the way that they would go, yow, yow, yow. (laughs) I love that part. And I still do. I sing it every single time I hear the song. This scene in the ride at DCA is the best scene of that dumb ride, in my opinion. It's very well done like done the animatronics aren't looking like they're just on sticks very lifelike ariel and eric animatronic for the cartoony version that they are so i dig that scene i love it there's this this whole thing if you took it out of context it's just like this is a off this don't kiss the girl if she can't say that she wants to be kissed don't don't do it. This song no, cannot be removed from the context of the movie. <laughs> there's no, all. there's yeah, it can't because 
we understand what Sebastian is saying because she literally can't talk. We know that she wants it. We it's that's explicitly why she's there in the situation. And yet when you remove it, if you've never seen this movie and you listen to it, you're like, this is awful. You should not be saying this. It's certainly not my favorite on the bracket and out of context, it doesn't quite align with what a love song should be. On the other side of it's Bella Note, which like there are some interesting fun facts here. It's sung by uh, Sonny Burke and the lyrics are by Peggy Lee and Peggy Lee is also the singer of He's a Tramp and she plays that that dog in the pound uh, singing that kind of jazz singer-esque song, which is a slap. It's a slap and her voice is phenomenal, so I love it. So for whatever reason, I thought that this song was based off of uh, That's Amore. When the moon meets the sky, I go big pizza pie. I don't know why, but they were made at like the same time. Literally like within three years of each other. Wow. And I thought that that blew my mind because I thought That's Amore was like this classic Italian song that was like this folk song in the realms of Lavender Blue that just survived the test of time and we sing it in preschool and we, you know what I'm saying? Like, but it, they were written at the same time. So that blew my mind for whatever reason. This is another like simple and straightforward to the point song for me, Chris. Uh, the lyrics are, look at this night, it's a beautiful night, and that, and they call it Beautiful Night. Those are the first lyrics of this song. That's deep. That's real deep. Talks a lot about, like, the look at the stars. Like, the stars come out during the beautiful night. The time is right for love, essentially, is, like, what what's going on here. And I kind of line it up with not literally that the night, is perfect for love but like this circumstance and the way that these two met like the stars have aligned is more of where where i get the message from this song no matter how short how simple it is the moment is iconic oh it's boy. one of the more famous disney mo- moments in all of disney history it's kind of the pinnacle of like romance when you whenever disney does any sort of like love montage whether it's in the parks or in commercials or in literally anything that they market, this scene pops up every single time of them sharing the plate of spaghetti. And it's only enhanced by this love song. I think you can listen to this love song out of context and be like, this is a beautiful like love song. You can't listen to Kiss the Girl out of context at all because you if she can't say no don't kiss the girl that's 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 the message that we're saying here on on mouse madness so uh chris by default bella note is moving on i mean you want unproblematic give me two doggos sharing a meatball i mean that's just that's it that's it right there uh so i also am advancing bella note on elizabeth do you agree i agree Perfect. Okay, so let's move on to the next matchup, which is the number three seed, Can You Feel the Love Tonight from The Lion King, versus number 14, You'll Be In My Heart from Tarzan. Let's start with You'll Be In My Heart. Elizabeth brought it up at the very beginning of this episode. This is a song about a different type of love than a lot of the other forms that we talk about, uh, especially in this bracket here. This is a love story between a mother and child Uh, in this instance a foster mother who is a gorilla and a human child 
the thing that's kind of weird about it is the version that's in the movie is slightly abbreviated and it's like the very generic version where all he really says is you'll be in my heart and I love you basically like all of the all of the good stuff in this song is in like the second and third verse which don't make it into the movie they make it into the Phil Collins version but not into the movie so really the only like line that is huge for me in the movie version is no matter what they say, uh, you know, which is a reference to something that's really important that, you know, there are unconventional types of love and it's not up to anyone else to define that love uh, except for you and the other person that is in it. I really like highlighting those types of relationships. We tipped our caps to You've Got a Friend in Me in the best song bracket, pointing out that love between friends is definitely a thing. Uh, and the entire Frozen franchise is based on that. Ultimately, the downfall for me for this song is that it is sung by Phil Collins for the majority of it. Kala gets the first verse or so, first couple lines, and then Phil Collins just takes it away. Ethereal ghost Phil Collins hijacks this song. And just like Mrs. Potts, you don't really get the insight into the character. And this is something we talked about in regards to the Tarzan stage musical. We felt that You'll Be In My Heart and Strangers Like Me were more effective on stage because they were coming from the characters in the story and not just ghost Phil Collins. Can You Feel the Love Tonight is unparalleled in a lot of ways. We can maybe talk about it next week because I think it's going to advance here. Uh, I'm going with Can You Feel the Love Tonight. Yeah, I'm with you because it, You'll Be In My Heart doesn't hold a candle to what Can You Feel the Ni Love Tonight does, and I'll dive into it next episode. So, Elizabeth, any hard feelings about us moving on? Uh, can You Feel the Love Tonight? Yeah, I have no uh, no hard feelings here at all. Um, like I said, uh, this is a different kind of love. Still valid, of course. But Can You Feel the Love Tonight kind of exposes more of the character of Simba and Nala and their relationship. Um, and I also like, in this instance, there is Nala and Simba and a narrator and I feel like Phil Collins just like took over the show in Tarzan. So I'm, I'm ready to move on. Can you feel the love tonight? Perfect. All right. Let's talk about our last matchup of the episode. It is number six, I See the Light from Tangled versus number 11, Candle on the Water from Pete's Dragon. A real sleeper coming from these, uh, these mask-wearing couples that we surveyed here. Candle on the Water, like I knew this. This is another one of the songs that I knew just from like, knowing Disney music, but didn't really know where it came from because I hadn't seen the original Pete's Dragon. And uh, so watching even the clip out of context, Chris, I didn't know what the heck was happening because I'd seen the new version of Pete's Dragon. And I was like, where was there like a love story where like there's a lighthouse and she's literally referring to a metaphor of like this lighthouse and like she's always going to be there for this person who is this person don't remember it from the new one like okay i need to rewatch the i need to watch for the first time pete's dragon so i did and uh don't love that movie at all uh there's some funny silly parts but i don't love it and so i watched up until that portion and then i stopped so it makes sense uh it, she fell in love with a sailor who hasn't returned and she's just saying i'm gonna be here i'm gonna be this this light 
that is at the end of your trip and and when we're together we'll be safe and we're going to be you know our life is going to be much better than on the rough seas essentially uh it was written by al kasha and john hershorn hershorn wrote songs for elvis presley uh it's sung by helen reddy who plays nora in this um movie and the chicago tribune actually dubbed her the queen of 70s pop what? Which is interesting. <laughs> so I haven't listened to anything else that she's done, but apparently a very good pop singer. Song was nominated for a 1977 Oscar for Best Original Song. Um, didn't win it. I think people should know the song. Like, it's a beautiful love ballad. It's very well sung. Uh, the orchestra that accompanies it is very well done. It reminds me of, like... It's composition reminds me of another song, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And I don't know if you knew of a song that either like sampled this or had the same chord arrangement, but like it sounded super familiar to something else. I just couldn't put my finger on it. I don't know. It's a beautiful song, but it's it's up against I See the Light, which we really praised in the best song bracket. And I think that I See the Light is a wonderful love song very well sung it's another alan menken hit mandy moore is zachary levi zachary levi's chuck from chuck he's in mcu movies he's shazam in the newest uh, dc comic movie it was up for best original song oscar but lost to we belong together from toy story 3 which i don't agree with at all um it, that shouldn't have happened what randy newman it won a grammy for best song written for visual media and like right when I hear that guitar riff at the very beginning, I get like oddly emotional and I have no ties to the song whatsoever. It feels like a better whole new world to me. It's like love has opened up this new experience for both Flynn, who's been on the run and on the go and realizes he needs to slow down and enjoy things while Rapunzel's never expected, never experienced anything and has been content with her life but now knows there's so much more. And not only is there so much more for them to both experience, but they want to do it together. And I think that's important of a successful relationship is like wanting to experience together. And it's not always like traveling, going on adventures. It's experiencing life and what life has to offer. And so instead of flying on a magic carpet and like being who you're not, they're realizing who they truly are. And I think that's great. So I'm moving I See the Light on past Candle in the Water. Well, Kyle, I said it in the best song bracket, and I will say it again. I See the Light is my favorite Disney song. Mm-hmm. So dang good. Candle on the Water is a sleeper for sure. I like the imagery present here. She's talking about her love being like a candle. So many times when we think about love, it's this fiery, burning, violent type of image. Uh, and I love that it's this kind of gentle flicker, this flame that you know, is is mostly comforting. People who burn yeah. candles are looking for some comfort and some coziness. And uh, I, I think that's a, a great underused metaphor for love. I love that that's present in this song. Um, totally. But I see the light is just, it's a juggernaut. And the next round is going to be extremely difficult for me. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll advance. I see the light on. And we have our Elite Eight. Um, we did it. Elizabeth, how, how do you feel after uh, we've completed this marathon of a round one? Yes, it has been a marathon. Um, we don't do sprints around here. Um, 
I really enjoyed your guys' input, and I don't have any qualms or any uh, disagreements here. I like that you guys consider all sides. Uh, very impressed, and I'm looking forward to uh, the Elite Eight and matching them up together. And our Elite Eight looks a little something like this. It's number 16, that's how you know from Enchanted. Verse, the number eight, I won't say I'm in love, from Hercules. Further down the bracket, it is number 13, Lost in the Woods from Frozen 2. Verse, number 12, Mabel Evangeline from Princess and the Frog. Other side of the bracket, it is the number 15, Lavender Blue, that got the upset over Beauty and the Beast, and it's facing off versus Bella Note from Lady and the Tramp. And then easy other quadrant of this bracket, it's number three, Can You Feel the Love Tonight, versus the number six, I See the Light. Chris, we have a lot of work to do in the next week but I'm excited and I'm ready to do it. We've also got some high numbers still here. I'm counting mm -hmm. five upsets. We got a 13, a 15, a 16, a 12. We had some big ones go down pretty much without yeah. a fight. So mm -hmm. I don't know. People are going to have thoughts on this. Uh, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for joining this week. Um, we hope to, to give you some more opportunities to break ties uh, next time around. Me and Kyle seem to kind of be on the same page this week. Yeah, big shocker to everyone, I think, to see the, the agreements here, but I'm glad to still be here for the discussion, and hopefully next week we get some more upsets. We get some more drama, too. Well, folks, you know how to reach us. You can send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us at mousemadnesspod. Join our Discord server or our Facebook community, which are both linked in the description of this podcast. Until next time, dilly dilly. I want to be a man, man, cop, and stroll right into town. And be just like the other men. <laughs>